And good morning. And wasn't this great? Wow. Fantastic. One of the things that was important uh, 15 years ago when uh, you called us to be the pastor was that we had uh, a great missions program. And in a lot of churches, uh, missions is a pillar of the church. And I said, I don't want missions to be a pillar of the church. I want it to be in the foundation of the church. So it's not a pillar, like we have a lot of pillars that hold up our ministry. It's foundational. That's why 10%, it's actually more than 10% because we do other giving throughout the year and you all uh, donate over and above and we give to these missionaries. We are in about 35 countries of which you heard of a couple this morning in Southern Africa and working with the missionaries who are here and their people and many others who can't all come and don't all have the ability to get visas into the United States to be here. But I want to say thank you for embracing World Lead and embracing these uh, missionaries to pray for them and to house them and to be with them as well. It's going to be a great week. Thank you, Carl. Also, as uh, Carl mentioned, next week is the vote for our new pastor. And so I wanted just to share a couple of minutes of how it's going to happen because it's been 15 years since it. And a couple of weeks ago, when I asked who was here 15 years ago, only 20% of you raised your hand. So a little turnover, typical Florida turning over as well. But this is what's going to happen. So next Sunday, everyone's invited. If you're not a member of the church, you are invited to be a part of the church service. So it's not just for members only. It'll be live streamed. So you on the live stream will see it all. But you can't vote unless you're here because there's no proxies, no write-in votes. You got to be here. So if you're on live stream, you're a member and you want to participate, you got to be in person. It'll be at 10.30. We'll do our worship time. And then after that, Mike Higgins and Ian Ross, our chair and secretary of the Elder Board, will come up and they will ask everybody who's a member to stand. Pretty simple. Just to show that we have a quorum. Quorum's 20%. We are always way over that here. We probably have 75 or 80% of our members on any given Sunday, but they will establish a quorum. So you'll stand up, then you'll sit back down. Then Mike will go over and describe what we're doing, which is affirming a new pastor. And he'll give the exact language. It'll be up on the screen so everybody can see it, just a simple statement. And then he will ask all those who are in favor, who are members, of those who stood before to stand in affirmation of Matthew to be the new pastor. And then they'll look at it and sit down. And then if there are any who are opposed to stand because we are a congregational church and then you sit down and then they will proclaim the answer to that, which I believe will be in the affirmative and you all do too. And at that point, uh, we'll have a time of prayer and a time of uh, changing of the guard, so to speak, for a few minutes and some affirmation and some uh, coming together over Matthew and prayer. And then he will preach to us as the new pastor. So he will be, in, in years past, we've done the vote at the end of, after the sermon. This time we're doing it before the sermon and that'll be the service. And so you will walk in with me as your senior pastor and you will walk out God willing, with Matthew as your senior pastor. Elizabeth and I will be staying here. For those who haven't heard our story over the last four months, we'll be staying here. We'll be working here, staying as a teaching pastor, working in world lead, working in city lead, coaching, mentoring, and doing things, maybe even a little writing and other things here. 
but the running of the church is going to the next generation. And I think it's an important thing. Elizabeth and I never thought one day that we owned this place. This is God's church. And we have been asked to be stewards of his church, and this one in particular, for a period of time. And that time is gone. And it's time for the next generation to rise up and be the stewards for the next generation to come. We have a great leadership team. We have great staff. We have a great group of volunteers. And I believe this church is heading for even better things and more things. And we need to pray and to move forward with them. So that's what we're going to do next week, which means today is my last sermon as a senior pastor. And so let's pray and get into it. Is that okay? Good. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I pray for them, those online, those who are in this room, those who will hear this this afternoon and throughout the week. I pray for them. I thank you for them. I ask that you would bless them in the truest sense of the word blessing and that you would allow us each to see you today. We thank you that we are here at this point in time, in this place, for this moment. We thank you, Father, for the children of our church and the grandchildren of our church who are beginning to see the importance and understand the importance. And they don't wait till they're adults to know what it means to have a relationship to you. But we believe strongly in children coming to you as they came to Jesus so many years ago. And we thank you for our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our adult ministries, our young adults, marrieds and singles, and our seniors ministry. Father, I pray you would be with each one of us as we seek to serve you and understand you and really have a better relationship with you as we talk and look in your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we've been in a four-week series called Broken Signposts. We're in the fourth week, the final week, and what I've been talking about are those signposts that we as Christians should hold up. And they have been breaking, and I'm speaking in the American context, not necessarily in the Boca Community Church context or even around the world, but it applies everywhere. It applies here, applies out there, applies around the world. And the first thing we talked about is that followers of Christ are no longer proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's a broken signpost. Jesus is not broken, but our conversing and our sharing about Jesus is broken. We talked about that three weeks ago. Two, two weeks ago, we talked about that our walk, that we are no longer really walking as followers of Christ. Or if we are, we're so quiet about it that people don't know. People may know we're good, but they don't know why we're good. They may know why we do certain things or don't do certain things, but they don't know the reason behind it. And so we talked about our walk is a broken signpost as followers of Christ. And then last week, we even got a little more specific and a little more personal talking about character and the fact that in this country, character means nothing. Nobody is talking about character. We're only talking about the ends, what the ends are. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about that. But in scripture and in biblical worldview, you don't from, go from God belief to the ends. There's something in between called character. It's called heart. It's called attitudes. We spent a lot of time last week talking about that. So before you get to the work, you got to have the right heart and the heart of God in it. And I think that's broken in this country. 
We all talk about the ends, but we don't talk about the means to get to the ends as believers. That was last week. So if you haven't heard these, they're online. One, two, three, four. Today we're going to talk about our life with God. We as believers, how is our life with God? How is your life with God? Just you. This is a very personal ending sermon. This is about me and my relationship to God. This is about you and your relationship to God. So though I may speak in general terms, I want you to think very specifically, and I'm not pointing fingers going, oh, you're doing it wrong and you're doing it right, and uh, I don't think so. I'm gonna talk about five postures or five ways of looking at God as believers, as Christ followers. I'm not talking about non-Christ followers. But as Christ followers, how do you really look at God and your whole understanding of him? And I'm going to use the word life and God, and I'm going to put a little preposition in between. And if you don't like the word I use, don't worry about the word. You put your own word in there, but think of the concept behind it. And I'm going to get out of Colossians where we've been, and I'm going to look at five little vignettes in the Bible about this, if I could. So I'm going to talk about one. Do a vignette out of the Bible, talk about the second one, do a vignette, and see where you fall in all of this. Number one, life under God. John chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, you don't have to turn there. You can just write it down. But what does life under God mean? And let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever bargained with God? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Today is self-reflection. Okay, I have two. What is bargaining with God? That is when I go, God, I will do this, so you will do that. Or God, I will stop doing this, so you will stop doing that. Or I will stop doing this, so you start doing that. There's all kinds of gerrymandering ways to do it. But it's basically, I do something, so God will do something. And I will not do something, so God will do something or not do something. It's It's a whole thing that our relationship is based on doing good things, that God likes me because I'm good, and God doesn't like me because I'm bad. And now I'm talking about Christ followers here. I'm talking about you and me. And bad things happen because people deserve it. When a bad thing happens to you, if you believe this, it's probably because you really deserved it. Now, let me just say, there are some things we deserve. If you drive down the wrong side of the street, you deserve what you get. Okay, I'm not talking about that. That's obvious. But I'm talking about our relationship to God. So John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus is walking with his disciples. And as he passed a man, he saw that he was blind from birth. There's a man sitting there, blind from birth. And they passed by, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you see that? They're saying he is blind because of a sin, not probably of the child born blind, but of his parents. Parents were bad, child's born blind. And you go, I would never say that. Well, we really do, don't we? How do we do that? When someone gets a raise, a new job, a promotion, a nice little inheritance or a bonus, what do we say? What do you say? God's blessed you. 
God's blessed you. And you lose your job, you lose your health, you have a fracture in a relationship, what do we say? God must be working on you. What's wrong? What's happened here? Now, you might not say it out loud, but you are saying it to yourself, aren't you? They're blessed because something good has happened to them. They're kind of not cursed. We wouldn't use that big word, but they're doing something wrong because God is taking things away from them. That's the same thing. And we do this all the time. What's amazing is back in the olden days of the United States, since we're in, I'm talking kind of in the American context, in the colonial days, villages, especially in New England, only had one church in a village. Then you go to another one church. They tend to be congregational churches back then. They've kind of lost their way, but they were great back then. And the congregational church would have everybody who was a believer from the community to go to that church, which meant the sharecropper and the huge landowner sat side by side and worshiped God. And no one would think that the sharecropper who owned nothing and had to borrow land to grow the crops and the chickens, et cetera, was poorer spiritually than the wealthy man who owned half the county. Because there was no belief that money and good things in terms of money meant anything in spiritual terms. The poor sharecropper could be a much stronger believer and more blessed by God than the wealthy landowner. And that's the truth. Because we have a concept that has developed since our American Revolution that more is better than less. And that's distinctly not biblical. More is not better than less in the earthly terms. Now, in heavenly terms, it is. So how does this play out? It plays out, I've shared our story of our son and kind of our dark night of the soul. And when we were having our dark night of the soul, Elizabeth and me, a, a guy came to us and said, you know what, if you pray enough, if you have enough faith, he'll be healed. And you know what, we prayed and had a lot of faith and he died. I'm just going to tell you, that's life. It happens. Now, how do we know this? Because on the third page of this 1,300-page book, it tells us. God doesn't hide it in the middle of the book. He says it at the beginning. Chapter 1 of Genesis, creation. Chapter 2, a reading of the creation. Chapter 3, man sins. Adam and Eve sin. And when they sin, five things happen to them. They would experience pain, sorrow, tears, death, and a separation from God. He just says, everyone's going to feel pain, sorrow, tears, death, and a separation from God. When Jesus came, he did not save us from pain, sorrow, tears, and death. He saved us from separation from God. See, that's the new kingdom. We still live in the old kingdom, which means I am going to die. I'm going to have pain. I'm going to have sorrow, and I'm going to have tears. And I'm going to have a God who loves me standing next to me during this experience. And so Jesus says, he answered them when they said, was it his parents or him, the boy who sinned? And Jesus says, it was not. 
Now, sin does cause pain. We said that. We know that. You do certain things, it's going to cause pain. But you may not do certain things, and you're still going to have pain because the Bible says it. Because we live in two kingdoms, and those of you who have been with me for 15 years know that I've talked about the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. I was born in the kingdom of earth a long time ago. Most of you weren't even born. April 6, 1958. Wow. Last century. Long time ago. I was born into the kingdom of God on October 4, 1972. Since October 4, I live in two kingdoms. And the day I die and you throw sand on my casket and go eat potato salad afterwards, <laughs> I will now only live in one kingdom, which is the kingdom of God, where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. But between October 4 and whenever the end of that day is, I can have a relationship with God who will help me through this earthly issue that we have. But if we only think God is there pointing his finger at us, be good or I'll do this, stop being bad or I'll do that, it is the wrong thing. Number two, life over God. And again, don't get caught with the word under or over. You gotta use something to talk about this. But this is the concept that God gives us talents, abilities, and gifts, which he does. And then he's like a watchmaker. He gives them to us, winds up the watch of Bill Mitchell or your name, winds it up and says, go live your life. I've given you everything you need. Go live your life. And we no longer need God because God has given us everything we need from God. And so there are many people, I talk to them and I go, um, are you a follower of Christ? Yes. When did it happen? And they'll tell me something in their childhood of when it happened. You know, some very animated situation when they were in fifth grade. And now they're 50 years old. That was 40 years ago. And they've, they have nothing to say between 10 and 50. Because God did something, but it was kind of done. He kind of wound me up being a believer and then nothing happens. You see, that is not the way it is, but we think it is many times. Numbers chapter 20, it's a hard place to find numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Just write it down, read it later. It's the story of Moses. Moses was asked by God when he was 80 years old approximately to leave a desert where he was a shepherd go back to Egypt, pick up two million people, and take them 90 miles to the promised land. Okay. He did this in Exodus chapter 4 and 5 at a burning bush. We won't go back there, but if you want to read the beginning, and Moses goes, Lord, not me. Not me. I can't talk. He goes, I'll give you your brother. Your brother's an incredible talker, Aaron. So Aaron can be your mouthpiece. He goes, I have nothing. And then what does God do? God says, pick up that staff. You know that staff? You have a staff like a shepherd's staff. He goes, throw it down. He throws it down, becomes a snake. Pick it up. It's no longer a snake. He goes, have this staff and have Aaron 
and you're going to be okay. So he comes back, and what does he do? He goes to Pharaoh and touches the staff into the water, and it turns into blood in the Nile River. All these great things, the staff, Aaron's talking, let my people go, and all these great things are happening between Moses, Aaron, and the staff. And then what happens? Pharaoh lets them go. They get to the Red Sea, and they can't cross this Red Sea. So what does he do, Moses do? He lifts up his staff, and what happens? The Red Sea parts. That's pretty cool. And it parts not into mud or into an estuary. It parts into dry land. And two million people go across. It closes it. Now they only have 80 miles to go. So they're working their way. They have no water. They're in the desert of Sinai. They get to this big rocky area called Meribah, and they're all complaining no water. And God and Moses get together. And here's the verses in chapter 20, verse 2 of Numbers. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves against Moses and against Aaron, because Aaron's always there. And they were quarreling and on and on and on and on it goes. Verse 7, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron. So you got Aaron, Moses, the staff. This is what the team was. Aaron, Moses, the staff. Who's your brother? And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, I've given you Aaron, mouthpiece. I've given you the staff, this kind of incredible, powerful thing. But I'm asking you, Moses, to talk to the rock. You, Moses, got to talk to the rock. And what happens? So you will bring out the water from the rock for them and give them drink. Then Moses gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Who's the we? Aaron and Moses, me, me and my bro right here. We're going to bring you, kind of asked it as a question. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff two times. Do you see it? He didn't say water come forth. He struck with his staff twice. Is this what God told him to do? No, God told him to use his mouth, Moses' mouth, tell the rock to bring forth water. He didn't do it. He strikes it twice. And what happens? What happens? Water comes out. Now, is that cool or what? You, can, you got a little stick and you strike it and the water comes out. But that is not what God told him to do. And this is like the most incredible thing. God said, you disobeyed me. You're not going into the promised land. Wow. I'm not letting you go in the promised land. Why? Why? Because he disobeyed God. Because he used the things God had given him two years ago but wasn't going to use the thing God told him to do. Gave him Aaron, gave him the, the staff. He used the staff and it worked. How does this apply? You know, oh, this doesn't mean anything today. Yes, it does. I'll give you a good example. Okay, I'm a pastor. Let me just pull the curtain open a little. 
For me to stand up here and preach to you is between 20 and 40 hours of preparation. Closer to 40. You just don't stand up here and talk. You work at it. I mean, if you're going to be a preacher, you got to be a studier. you got to love G- all this good stuff. So there's a couple churches in South Florida that have failed lately in the last 10 years. And I know them very well. I knew it. And both of them were growing like this, right? We're growing like this. They're growing like this. One of the pastors of that, I won't name him because you'll know him, do you know who had the best preaching style and the best words and the best everything would spend maybe an hour prepping. He would come to church not knowing what he was going to say at the service. Not because he's Pentecostal, none of that, (laughs) but because he had the gift of gab. He could preach better than most of us just on his own talents, and he didn't need God. Of course, none of us knew that, and he was preaching for years on his own talents. But here's the problem, and you've heard me say this for years, and we even do it in our own churchly discipleship. Talent and gifting is good, but if you don't have character, it will collapse at some point. Moses had the gift. He had Aaron, and he had this rod that had some special powers that we don't get anymore. And God said, don't use those, use this. And they, he went to the gift that he had been given years ago and didn't do what God said, and he still got good results. That's the scary thing. You see, You can't look at what people do and go, oh, yeah, they're real godly. No, they may be doing it on their own efforts because we are a talented group of people, aren't we? We have been given money. We've been given education. We've been given status. We've been given Bible knowledge. We've been given all these things, and we don't need God. You can do it without God. Why do you need God? You got everything else. Can I just tell you? If you don't have God in this, you're going down. You're just going down. You might last a year. You might last 10. That pastor I was talking about lasted about 20 years and went down. And I'm not trying to say we should be praying that people go down. What we should do is be praying that people go up and that people use the gifts because they have a relationship to God, not just because they're talented. Don't go on your talent. Go on what God is telling you to do. And you know what? God may tell you to do something that is not in your talent base. Moses was not talented to speak. And God said, speak, and he didn't do it. So just get out there and do what God tells you to do. Number three, life from God. Now, this is a familiar story in Luke Chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal son and the elder son. We'll look at the prodigal son first. What did the prodigal son want? He wanted something from his father. 
And Jesus shared a story. There was a man who had two sons, in verse 11 of Luke 15, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me. I want it from you. Now, here's the thing. When you pray, how do you pray? God, give me. Most of our prayers are God, give me. Or you want to be real religious, God, give to my children. Or God, give to my neighbor. Or God, give to this church. So you kind of religiousize your prayers. But the reality is there's more to prayer than God, give me. Now, why? This is interesting. In this story, see, we don't get it because it's an inheritance story. So in the old days, in the Israel economy, the eldest son got two portions of the inheritance. So if there were two kids, like there are in this story, there would be three portions. Oldest son gets two, youngest son gets one. If there were four kids, there would be five portions, and the oldest get two, and the other ones get a fifth, a fifth, a fifth. See that? So the boy knew that he wasn't getting half. He was getting less than half. He was getting a third. He was getting one-third of the poor, and he said, I want it. Now, here's the thing. Nowadays, we give our inheritance all the time. We help our kids buy a house. We help them get through school. We give them a little this. We give them that. We help with the rent. We help with the grandkids. We help with Christian school payments. All good. Back then, none of that happened. Back then, you got your inheritance on the death of the father, not before. So when he said, Dad, give me my inheritance, what was he saying? I want you dead. That's how much I consider you, Father. I want you dead. In other words, I don't care about you. I only care about what you give me. And a lot of times, this is what we do with God. We don't really care about God. We care about what he can give us and what he gives us. We're continually asking. And unlike the son who only had to ask once, we're continually asking all the time. We do a lot of work and prayer, and we're having a prayer time next Saturday. Just realize prayer is not about just asking. That is a piece of it. There is a relationship aspect to this. If the only time I spoke to my kids was when they asked me for something, what kind of relationship is that? And some of you may have kids that that's all the time you hear them. You really don't have a relationship with them. I want to hear, it, it was amazing this morning, I, I go to the beach every Sunday morning, and I, I, the sunrise was gorgeous today, so I, I snap a picture of the sunrise, and I send it to all my kids, I said, it's the last time I'll be at the beach being senior pastor, because I go every Sunday. You can't believe the response from my kids from all over the countryside. Two live here, two live elsewhere, sons-in-laws, daughters-in-laws, etc. None of them asked me for a thing. Not a thing. They were just thankful that I'm their father. What a beautiful thing to see. Every once in a while, just thank God for being our father. Maybe thank him for all the things he's done for you already. I mean, some great things you can pray about, and we've, we have a lot of opportunities for prayer. We do a lot of uh, studies in prayer and all the rest. It's not about studying prayer. It's actually doing it. Elizabeth talks a lot about this in her teachings, but if you don't know how to really pray without just asking, go to the Psalms and just pray one of the Psalms. 
Just go, Lord, you are my shepherd. I know I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. Thank you. You lead me beside the still waters. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you're with me, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for being with me in the fear when I'm fearful. I mean, just pray the Psalms. You go find a Psalm. There's 150 of them. But let us not always want something from God because when you want it, you really don't have a relationship. You just have kind of this business transaction. Number four, life for God. This is okay. I'm going to step on some toes here. Sorry. But um, life for God. This is about the elder son. Same chapter. We're still in chapter 15. So you know the story of the prodigal, but I'll give it to you quickly. He takes the money. He goes off into a far land. He squanders it. He loses it all. He, as a Jewish boy, he's feeding pigs. And he, all he gets is the husk from the pigs. He says, my father will treat me better than this guy will. And he comes back. And when he comes back, his father brings him in. It's a beautiful picture of forgiveness and generosity for another sermon one other day, not for today. Well, the elder brother wasn't there. He was out working. And dad says, kill the fatted calf, take the ring, take the robe, take the shoes, give him a bath. And then what happens? The elder son comes in while all the celebration's going on. And he wouldn't go in, verse 28. But he came angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated the elder son. He answered his father, look these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me even a young goat, much less the fatted calf. Here's the point that he's coming up with. He's saying, I do all this for you, and you don't do anything for me. Now, can you imagine saying that to God? And yet we do it all the time. I had a person in our congregation tell me they tithe, and yet they're struggling. Why is God letting me struggle, though I tithe? I do all the work for God. He's not doing his share. He's not doing his part. I'm doing my part. It's, have you ever done that? That's like the opposite of bargaining. You're saying, God, you got to keep your side of the bargain. I'm going to keep my side of the bargain. I'm going to do, do, do for you, and you got to do, do, do for me. And that's a bad place to be. Now, five. Let's look at this. It's life with God. It's a personal, growing relationship with the Father each and every day. Back to the guy who gets, becomes a follower of Christ in fifth grade. Sometimes I'll ask somebody and they'll go, I'll go, when did you come to Christ? They'll go, fifth grade, 10 years old, whatever age that is in fifth grade. I go, tell me about it. And then they'll start talking about what happened in high school and how they went away a little and came back and things are going good. And then they, and all of a sudden they're all the way up to age 50 or whatever age they're at and they're talking about their relationship to God. You see, it's a journey with God. It's a relationship with God. It's not a point in time in the back that you just point, yep, yeah, I got life insurance. Yep, I'm good. Yep, I'm a follower of Christ. No, it's a daily, weekly, yearly. And it doesn't all go like this. It's this, but it's coming together. John chapter 15 is a great passage. There's dozens of great passages. It's Jesus at the end of his life. It's the 
pretty close to the very end of his life, in the last evening of his life, chapter 15 of John, the Gospels, verse 1, says this, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. I mean, there are some tough times that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then he says these words, abide in me and I in you. That's relationship. I abide in Elizabeth and she with me. That's relationship. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Jesus is the vine, God's the vine dresser. We can't abide without them or live without them. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And then verse eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, my intimate friends. As the father has loved me, so I love you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments. So there is a doing right and doing wrong kind of thing in this. Doesn't mean you have total freedom. But he's saying, I have responsibility to him. You have responsibility to me. And these, this is really neat, which I've never really noticed until this study. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, when you have the fruit of the Spirit and it shares with others, you're sharing the love of Christ. You're sharing the joy of Christ. That old song, you're a channel. You're just the channel of what God has given you, you're giving to others. And we showed that today with giving money. Well, that's just one little piece, but giving joy, giving hope, lack of fear, all these beautiful things, of course, kindness and gentleness and the fruit of the Spirit because you have a relationship with the Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And that's the key. And so, my friends, as I end here in the next few minutes, do you really have a relationship with him? Oh, you know him. Maybe you came to Christ in fifth grade or when you were the age of one of these kids. But do you really have life with God? Don't leave today without that. I would hate somebody to walk out of here after my last day and go thinking the wrong thing. I'm gonna close with a story and then an ending. And I've shared this story many times, but it just hits me every time. When I was in high school, I played basketball, duh. I mean, I'm tall, it's like Mitchell's play basketball. And so, played basketball, I was on a high school team, and uh, was started and played fairly well. Not great, but I was good, okay. And um, so we were winning a team, it was halftime, coach came and said, I wanna take you out of the game and let those kids down at the end play. The kids that never get to play, the 13th, 14th, and 15th kid that never plays, they just sit on the bench, and one at the end, was a boy whose father was a journeyman, poor. I went to a blue-collar poor school. It was interesting. I went to a poor school, and this kid was poor, poor. I mean, he was poor. And you could tell the clothes were hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs. I've never, I had not seen that much poverty 
here in South Florida. And so his shoes had tape around them, you know, the masking tape because of the holes in them and all that. And so he's down there. And the coach says, I'm going to put him in for you. I said, great. I sat down. And he came over and whispered in my ear. He said, you know, he can't go in and play because of those shoes. And he looked at my shoes. He looked at him. I had nice shoes. And we were about the same size foot. And he said, "Um, in my ear, no one heard, would you give him your shoes? Would you give him your shoes? I'm 16 years old. No one's ever going to know the answer but the coach and me. And I thought about it, and I said, yes. So I started taking my shoes off, and he came back. He said, by the way, you have to put his shoes on and his socks on and sit here for half a game. So it wasn't that I just gave to him. I would have to have the embarrassment of wearing those shoes and those dirty, holy socks. And we did it. And he went out and played and did terrible, but had the time of his life. We won the game all over, never thought of it again, until 20 years later. I'm up north of Atlanta. Elizabeth and I are at a retreat center for business people, and there's eight, uh, six couples of us there doing a, a weekend retreat. Fantastic place. A friend of ours set it all up corporate retreat, and the guy running it was standing. We were in the dining room in this incredible buffet, and a guy in a corner standing there just keep telling everybody what to do with his eyes. I just love to watch. I love people in another job. He's so good. He's looking, and he's just pointing to people with his eyes, and they're all doing this job, and I'm kind of standing there just kind of taking it all, and he looks, and our eyes connect, and he smiles, and he comes over to me, and he goes, you're Bill Mitchell. And I go, yes. I go, but I don't know you. I don't remember you. He goes, I was the guy with the shoes. I'm the guy with the shoes. See, I lost track of him because his dad was a journeyman. He left about a month later, never saw him again. He goes, you need to know that changed my life that night. No one had ever given me anything in my life until you gave me the use of your shoes. 30 minutes. He said, I went to the next school, and he said, I became a believer in Jesus Christ because my anger had subsided because you gave me the shoes. I'm like, what? And then he told me his, you know, because he was a terrible student, how he changed his life, how he got to college, how he got to the Culinary Institute of New York, all the rest, ended up here running this incredible place. And he looked at me and said, thank you. Thank you. My friends, who knows what $650 is going to do in the life of these kids in Zimbabwe? you could probably give a zero to that or two zeros to that. And that's good. But it's not always about the big. That's the American thing. Let's get it bigger. I wish we did 30 churches. I wish we did this. And you know what? If you want to give, give. One pair of shoes 
change the trajectory of a whole family's life to Jesus. You and I have an opportunity to do it, to be what Christ has called us to be. But you gotta have a relationship with him. Not just know him, we talked about that, not, if I can say this with respect, not just believe in him, but actually have a daily, weekly, ongoing relationship with the Almighty God. My friends, if you do not have that, today is the day to do it. We're gonna pause in a moment, sing a song, and our people will be up here. I would love to be up here, but I'm gonna go back there because it's the last Sunday, just need to greet people with all our world lead. But there will be people here to pray. Can I tell you, if there's anything you need, except Jesus, don't come to the front, go to the back. Come to the front if you need to get your relationship right with Jesus Christ. If you're a believer and you just need to come, come to the front. Now, as we close, I just want to say one thing. 15 years ago, I asked you, of course, only 20% of you were here and others were here, but I asked if you would do something with me. And you did. And today it's over. And I want to tell you what it was. It's in Judges chapter 5, verse 2. It's the story of Deborah. It's the story when Deborah and Barak destroyed the coming in of the Canaanite people and Sisera and these others. And she sang a song at the end. That's chapter 4 and chapter 5. She sings a song. And at the beginning of the song, she says these words. The leaders led, the people followed, and the Lord blessed. The leaders led, the people followed, and the Lord blessed. And 15 years ago, I asked you, would you follow us, assuming we're staying with Christ and all the good things, would you follow us so that the Lord would bless us? And you did. And I'm asking you, Next Sunday, will you follow the next leader of Boca Raton Community Church as he leads and his team and the volunteers and the staff move forward? This church has a great future. It's got a great history. It's got a great now, and it's got a great future ahead of it. And I pray what you did for me, we all, myself included, can do for the next leadership team, which is the leaders lead, the people follow, and the Lord blesses. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you for this day. I pray first of all for each person who is here and on the live stream and listening, that each of us would have a true and vital and growing relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, through not just the knowledge of the word, but the understanding and the wisdom and the the growing of the word. We know it's like a seed that can grow in our lives. May the word not be out of sight of us, but inside of us. And may we grow closer to you. I pray for the future of each person here. I pray for the future of this church and its leadership as we move forward into the next season of Boca Raton Community Church. And God, I do ask that you would bless it in the name of the Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.